if I actually knew the order of worship. <laughs> the other week when Mr. Derek sent me his songs, I had to go in here and take a picture. And he's like, it's supposed to be this one. I'm like, okay, it's supposed to be this, this, this. I just know when I'm supposed to get up because it shows my slides. So that's just a good reminder. But I know maybe in the past couple weeks I said something along the lines, and I think I'll say it again today. You know, Some of what I'm going to talk about today was kind of already hit on. I don't know if you read the slides beforehand and maybe looked at what I was going to talk about, but I at least told uh, Dr. Remsen about a few of the themes that we are going to be studying today, and hopefully, I guess hopefully, hope you understand that we're going to be talking about hope today, because I think more than ever, and as we've been going through our study of heart trouble, when we look to the world around us, it's pretty depressing and sad. I mean, people are losing their jobs. Millions of people are dying around the world due to this virus that's going on. People are getting sick. People are suffering economically. And it just keeps going and going. And you've seen what's happening in the news and the world around us and what's going on. It just doesn't seem like a very positive thing. I mean, probably more than ever, I think people are probably not turning on the news because they're tired of hearing about it. They're tired of hearing about all the bad stuff happening. And they're like, can we at least hear something good? Today, like, I don't know, maybe that there were donuts today? That sounds like a good, a good note for today. But more than ever, I think people are looking and using this word hope. Maybe it's something like, well, I hope I don't get sick, and I hope we stay safe. And for Abby and I, you know, we hope that our friends and family can come to our wedding in January. I mean, it's interesting to think and funny, I guess, to think that it's only four months away now. We're in September. The months keep churning and just keep getting closer. And... I know you too probably have plans, things that you've wanted to do, and you hope those aren't ruined by what's going on in the world. You want to resume to some type of normalcy, and we all have that desire, that hope. But for Christians, it should be different. While the world is using this word hope in the way of, you know, seeing in a place of worseness or despair, and they're looking towards a future that is potentially brighter. For a Christian, there's no potential. There's no maybe or might. For the Christian, the hope that we are given is certain and absolute. And as we study today in 1 Peter 3, we're going to be thinking about this question of why are you hopeful? And not only is this supposed to be an introspection for you, are you supposed to think, why, why am I hopeful? Or why should I be hopeful if I'm not being hopeful? But this should be the question as we saw in our scripture reading that people ask of us. That in 1 Peter today, we're going to see that there's the, this personal battle, and it starts with what we deal with personally. And that's different for everyone, right? You have different struggles, then I have different struggles, then so-and-so has different struggles. We all have this personal battle. But as we'll see in the text here, it can be boiled down to some common similarities. But even amidst our hardships and personal trials, God offers protection and encouragement for us. And in that, we'll see in the end that we can be proud of who we are and proud of the hope that we have within us. So we're going to start today in verse 10 and talking about the personal battles that we have. For whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And I want to start here talking about the personal matters of this desire to enjoy life. 
And maybe if you're like me, if you think about these words, you maybe think of this worldly desire, right? This vain desire to live life up to its fullest, to do as much as you can while you're here, and to just have fun. And while that is one way to see this, as we see in the context, when we think about being different, right? We always talk about, you know, you, we're in the world, but we can't be of the world. We've got to be different. But yet, we'd be lying to say that there aren't so many similarities between us, partially because, first and foremost, we're all created by God, right? We're all humans. So there's going to be this commonality we share with each other. And while there should be a divide, right, in our mind, we think of like, okay, the people in the world and then people of the church, they're different. We're all people. But we also all have this desire to enjoy life, right? Innately, it's in us. And it's not specifically sinful to, as Peter is quoting here in Psalm 34, the desire to love life and to see good days. That's, everyone wants that, right? You want to wake up and have a good day. That's, it's not bad to want that at all. But what's different is from Christians and what we're called to do and from the world is how they see it enacted in life. For people in the world, desiring, the desire to join life is usually done through satisfaction of material things. Whatever it might be, the luxuries that they have, the activities they get to do. And while they've been locked inside the past couple months, they've been, pretty, they've been feeling kind of hopeless because they feel like they're not able to enjoy life anymore. Like, well, I'm stuck inside, I can't do anything. The luxuries, the materials that I used to have, the things that I bought and that I earned, I can't really enjoy and take advantage of those things. And we talked a little bit about this last week. And I said that there's a lie that we're told that we can't have fun, you know, that Christians are you know, ruiners of the party and they're like lumps on a log, but that's not the case. And when we think about, you know, struggling in the desire to just have some good days, even when we're down about what's going on. When we look here in the verse, it starts with us what we'll see, what we're supposed to do in the next couple points. And that we can have good days regardless of whether we're inside due to quarantine, regardless of what's going on. And I'm not trying to belittle what's going on in the world. But don't you think it's a good day if someone comes to Christ? Or don't you think it's a good day if we get to glorify and to learn more about God? We can still have good days amidst what seems like the trials around us. People might think you can't, but we sure can. And just think of how much the Christians had to endure in the first century and in times that they didn't know whether they were going to be safe. We get to live in a country where we get to worship freely. We don't have to worship in secret. That is such a blessing that we can take for granted at times. And so we have, as Christians, so much of ability to enjoy life. And we cannot let the momentary displeasure of whatever's going on for however long it lasts here, and another thing will come up right after it. We cannot let our hardships in life detract us and let it take away from the hope that we have. Because it starts here, as Peter's quoting, with the tongue and the lips. And I don't know if you think this is interesting. For me, I kind of thought it was interesting, because if you remember... In Matthew 15, we've already talked about the mouth, right? What we talk about. And you're like, here, Ben's going to again talk about what we say. And I've said it multiple times, but maybe when you think about the verse here in 1 Peter, when he's saying, you know, keep your tongue or restrain your tongue, maybe you think of James. And James talks about bridling the tongue because 
it does a lot of bad in life. But when I think it's interesting to hear involve the lips, because think about how you speak, right? When I speak, you see my lips form the words before they even come out of my mouth. And your tongue also helps with that, right? You can't say certain letters without your tongue, right? Maybe it's a T or a L, right? You need your tongue to say these things, but you also need your lips. And so we, when we think about the words that we're going to say and how they're saying, first of all, you need to not do evil with your tongue, but you also need to not speak deceit with your lips. When I think about how we react to situations, right, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, usually we react by saying something. If somebody scares you, what are you going to do? Well, you might flail at them because you're startled, but you're probably going to scream. And if someone pulls out in front of you in traffic, you're probably going to say something. And usually when something happens in our lives, if somebody yells at us, or somebody says something, maybe you know, we yell back. At, we're not perfect. But anything that happens to us, if it's something bad, maybe we complain, our responses are always involving our tongue and our lips. And, you know, people, right, people can understand what's going on if they can't hear that well, right? Some people read lips. I don't. I barely listen. So, you know, it's, it's going to be enough for me to listen to people, but people can know what you're saying just by your lips. And what are your lips telling people? Not just the words that are coming out of them, but how are you living your life? Are people seeing the deceit, seeing sin in your life? Or when the words are formed on your mouth, are they formed to uplift people and encourage them? Because sometimes we don't think about our reactions, but we need to. This is about being conscious and making a conscious effort in what we're living. Christianity is not some easy, run-of-the-mill, just mosey around religion. It requires effort. And this is part of it. Taking care of a reaction, right? Being snappy if someone talks back to you and you snap right back at them and be like, don't you talk to me that way. We don't really think about what we're saying. A lot of times, right, our words come out faster than we think them. And so we need, as Christians, to be weary of that, making sure that our words are not tearing people down in a time when we're already all worn down from what's going on in society. But using our tongue and our lips to glorify God and to encourage one another. We don't just need to pay attention to the words that we sing or the things that we say in services, but every day in life. I'm reminded multiple times from my fiance that you know, before I say something, I gotta remember how I'm saying it, right? We said that last week. Now we talk about, it, or a couple weeks ago, it really matters how you say what you say and how you act. But in this, when we're talking about the desire to live life, Peter talks about doing good and turning away from evil. And you're like, Ben, aren't we kind of already talking about it? Yes. But Peter extends this further in the text, that it starts with your tongue and your lips, right? How you speak, but it goes further than that. And it's a reminder again of this split between good and evil. We need to turn away from what is evil and do what is good. We're reminded of the two choices that we have in life. And it's not three, you know, normally people are like, well, are you on one side or on the other, or are you on the fence? Remember the church in Laodicea, as they're written to by John, and Jesus tells them, you're neither hot or cold, you're lukewarm. Because of that, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because he'd rather have hot water, you know, what, what can you do with hot water? Make tea, make coffee, what can you do with cold water? Be refreshed. But lukewarm water, what is that even good for? It's disgusting. 
We can lie to ourselves. We can make ourselves think, you know, just because I'm, I'm saying some good things every once in a while, because I'm coming to services, I'm doing good. But as we, we will see here, it's written, doing good involves a lot more than just a few things. Right? If, if you could not talk and not sin, I'm sure people would go to some really extreme measures to not do that. I'd be doomed because I like to talk. Right? But people... If, if you could not sin and just stop talking, people would do it, right? People would go so far, but that's not the case, right? As we talked about last week, we don't lie with just our words. We lie with our actions. And so when we strive to do good, it doesn't just stop with how we speak. But as Peter says, it, it requires a turning away, right? When we talk about repentance and turning away from sin and towards God. We know what direction we're walking in. And only you truly know that. You can say that you're walking in one direction. But your feet don't lie, right? Whatever way you're walking is where you're walking. And when we think about turning away from evil, it then says to pursue or to seek peace and pursue it. You know, I think about you know, the resolutions we make. You know, nobody almost, no one sticks to them, right? We say, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to drink pop or soda, whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to drink that for this year. And probably a couple of months in, you're like, oh, I, you take a drink of the beverage you weren't supposed to drink because it's bad for you. Or you're like, I'm going to work out. And how many times do we actually stick to that? So many times we say we're going to do stuff. We say we're going to do good, but we don't follow it up. But God, unlike us, keeps his promises. And when he saw the solution, or he saw the problem of sin, he presented the perfect solution through his son. Not only did he desire to save us, but he did something about it. And he truly did pursue it with the sacrifice of his son. So what are we going to do? Are we going to just make a proclamation? Because some people believe you can just say a couple words and you're good, you're fine. Well, that's not the case. I can say just about anything. I could say I have a million dollars. I don't, but I could say it. Doesn't mean it's any more true. I could say I'm following God, but it doesn't mean it's any more true. We have to say, the, the words that we say, we need to back up with our actions. As Peter's saying here, we need to seek peace and pursue it. God will give us that peace, the reassurance that our sins have been forgiven and that we can truly wash away our guilt. I know it takes time for us, at, and it can be hard to forgive ourselves, but God forgives us, and he forgets that. And we can have that peace of our personal battles, and that goes into next to our protection that we have, that God offers us. This protection, as we'll see, has a couple parts to it, and that we can be confident in it. But it's also not some magical bubble that protects us from everything physical in this life. Because we'll see this protection is a little bit different. But as we continue on in verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. We see first that God is paying attention to us. The Lord is paying attention to us. And now when I say us, you know, what do I mean? Because the text specifies Right? The text doesn't just say, everyone, but it says, the righteous. 
And maybe that can make us be a little, you know, full of ourselves. Maybe get up on your high horse, if you want to say it that way. Because so many people, sadly, in the religious world, think they're better than the people that don't come to church. Or the people that don't know as much. It becomes a contest of who knows more or this, saying, I'm better than you. I'm more righteous. When that's actually so far from the truth. None of us are righteous people. We're sinners. And yet, we forget that the only way we become righteous in life, the only way we can truly be righteous in God's sight is through the redemption through his son and the blood that he's shed for us. And we need to be reminded of that. That we're not righteous because of our own deeds, and we can't save ourselves because of our own deeds, but that's only through God. And with that, we should have confidence. Right? When you think about being righteous, we're righteous because of what God has done for us, and because it's God doing it, that's what should give us confidence and encouragement, hearing these words that his eyes are on us and his ears are hearing our prayers, even though sometimes we might not think they are, he's listening. And that should encourage us and give us strength, knowing that our Lord is looking out for us, but there's a flip side to this in the text. And it's that those that do evil, those that haven't turned, as was said in the verses prior, those that are still doing those things, God turns his face against them. That should be scary for those that are in that situation, for those that have not been purified through Jesus' blood and become righteous, those that are unrighteous. That's not a predicament you want to be in. To be against the all-powerful God, that his face is against you, that should strike fear, but in time as we know, as we talked about last week, the fear of the wrath of God and of his judgment is perfected and should be perfected in the love as we appreciate what has been done for us. But the next thing that we see here is what, what can really be done to us? And again, this isn't about being flippant or not being cautious because we should always care about our physical health and the well-being of others, especially as Christians, thinking about others' well-being. But in the text here, you know, what harm can be done if you are zealous for God? I think of Hebrews 13, 6, which is, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. What can people do to me? When we think about the life that we have and the personal battles that we undergo, it's not just about combating this, this illness that is going on, but the day-to-day -day life of people looking at you, people making fun of you, or talking down to you because you go to church because you're a Christian, they know your beliefs. Maybe, they, maybe you don't even hear it at times. They talk behind your back at work. We, you don't know. I mean, at my work, there's just, you know, me and Brittany, so, you know. Well, if we talk, we talk. But when you work in the world, people see you differently because of what you do on Sunday and what you do every day of the week as a Christian, really. But regardless of what goes on, regardless of the physical things that happen to us, the sentiment here is, ultimately, this is just my physical body, and one day, it's going to be taken away. And that's okay. Obviously, I want to take care of it. But one day, my soul is going to be with Jesus on high, and that's what's important, the protection that God offers us. 
is more than just the material things. As we said, so many people today are hopeless. They're sad because they don't get to do the things they normally do. And it's, you know, people want to go out and spend time with friends and not have to wear a mask the whole time and wonder whether they're mad or happy with you because you can't really tell because their eyes. You know, people, people wonder so much and they long so much for normalcy. But for the Christian, we long for something more. To even pass this life. It's the spiritual that is protected. Regardless of what happens to this body, I know where I'm going. And I don't have to worry about it. So what can man do to me? What can happen to me? The worst that can happen is I, I die and go to my waiting place to wait being with Christ on high. That's the worst that can be done to us. That's the protection that's offered to us. A protection that, again, is a little hard for us to understand at times. Because all we know is the physical. But eternity is a lot longer than however long we live on this earth. And that's what we need to focus on and having protection in. But with this confidence, being confident in God and the spiritual protection he offers us, comes with something I don't think we talk about enough, and that's expecting to suffer. So much in today's world, I think people have some sort of expectation that life should be easy. And, yeah, we, again, what we talked about, we want to enjoy life. But too many people expect everything to be you know, sunshines and daisies and just simple and work out for them. But that's not the case. As we talked about last week, we live in a fallen world, and we live in a world that's corrupted by sin. And because of that, and because of wanting to serve Christ, we're going to suffer. The confidence that we have that's been given to us is through Jesus. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. How was that access granted to us? Through suffering, through Jesus enduring a painful, humiliating death on the cross. And if Jesus was willing to bear all of our sins and to suffer the death that he did, we should expect to do the same. Maybe it's not going to you know, be in the same respect of being hung on a cross, being defamed by people and made fun of. But in some manner, we're going to suffer. And we should expect it. Yes, at times there will be things we don't fully understand and we, don't, we aren't prepared for. That's part of what we'll talk about and what we talked about some last week as well. But also when we think about suffering and what our Savior has gone through, that as James writes, we can be thankful for what we've done, that be joyful, brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, because the testing of your faith produces endurance. And it is that that we can see that we can grow stronger and we can have even more confidence that we know our Savior suffered, and when we suffer, maybe in some way you can feel closer to him as well. But lastly, we see here... Is written, do not fear. And again, we say this, that we, we don't need to be worried about what's going to happen to us, while we do need to be cautious about how we live, how we act, and take care of our bodies. The fear that a normal person has of losing all their material things, of losing in what's in this life, is not a fear that a Christian should have. Instead, 
The Christian should fear what is going on with those that they love most, those around them. And thinking about how can I better reach out to one another and to show God's love. God offers confidence to us in the hope of his son. And he didn't, right, he didn't put his plan into some kind of idea you know, that hasn't been fleshed out, right? He's like, okay, I came up with this five minutes ago. Let's try it. Or some person who's unreliable, right? God chose to enact his will to save mankind through his perfect son. And the hope that is offered through God is rock solid. It cannot be shaken. And it doesn't change. As God does not change, the hope that he offers does not change regardless of what happens to us. And so the protection, the confidence that he offers us in this hope allows us to not fear. But lastly, that we can be proud. And when we think about being proud, I'm not talking about being arrogant. Because as we talked about, where we have our personal struggles and God has offered Jesus as son to us, but we need to be humble. But in humility, you know, we're proud of whose we are being God's children, and we're proud of the hope that we have within us. That while other people strive for something more in this life, to have more money, to have more things, we're satisfied in God. But continuing in verse 15, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. We start with Christ as Lord, sanctifying him in your hearts, honor God as holy, this phrase there that is in the text. And what it's talking about, right? And you might be wondering, oh, when was Ben going to get to the heart? Well, you heard it in the scripture reading, so you know I was getting here at some point. And talking about the heart trouble that we, caught, that we are experiencing in this world, that it all boils down to where is Christ in your life? Is he maybe on a necklace and a cross? Does he only exist in the pages of your Bible? Or have you set him apart in your heart? Have you honored him as God in your heart. You've set him at the highest place of prominence in your life, which is being ruler of your heart. Yes, Christ is king of creation, but is he king of your life? Is he the ruler of your heart? Because when we talk about the heart trouble, when we talk about putting Christ there, if we are honoring, if we are setting apart Christ as Lord, as ruler, at the very core of who we are, that is how we can live better for him. Making sure that how we act and how we live is becoming not of who I should be, but of who Christ wants me to be. Because we need to guard our hearts, right? As we've talked about in our studies before, what comes out of the mouth, it comes from the heart, and that's what defiles a person. And that we need to guard our hearts because from it flow the springs of life. So why would you not give Christ, the ruler of the world, the one who caused life to exist to be the one that guards your heart, to, to put him there. And again, it's not by some words, by saying, Jesus, come, you know, come into my heart, but 
We have to make that effort again to place him as a point of prominence in our life and understanding that because he gave his life for us, we're going to give our lives for him and setting him there in that place of importance. Yes, we'll make mistakes at time, but we have to strive to serve him as much as we can and to live for him and to do so is putting him at the very core of who we are as a person. He paid the ultimate price for us. And we need to dedicate our lives to him to be more like him. But also in this passage, we talk about being prepared. And so often, as I've studied some apologetics in my time at school, this verse is like the verse for apologetics. If you've ever heard or talked about any of that kind of stuff, so often people talk about this. You got to be prepared to give a defense. And when I think of being prepared, I think of the Boy Scouts and my mother, who both are very prepared for many situations. And I have a twin brother. Having two young boys, you, you pretty much have to be prepared for anything. And while my mom was ready for much of the stuff to go on in life, I'm not talking about more about just having the physical things ready, you know, have the first aid kit, whatever, know where the nearest hospital is, who knows what's going to happen. But for us, it's becoming more than that. And too often, I think, the church today has pushed this being prepared idea as knowing stuff. Knowing more about God's word will never hurt us. But at times, we can use it poorly. And so often, I think, people today have just become a record player or just a rep repetition of what Scripture says. There's a difference between being able to repeat words and actually living them out. And while we can claim to know book, chapter, and verse for everything, how does that help someone if we can't truly live it out? When we talk about being prepared, it's not just being prepared to defend the Bible right, from attacks. While we do need to, to do that and understand, but we also need to be prepared to share our life, to share our story and how it intertwines with Christ's. We never know when we're going to encounter people in life and how they, they need God, whether they need God's love, whether they need his mercy, we need to be prepared to show those things. And that's why we talk about not only just the desire of enjoying life, but to talk about our tongue, to talk about what we're seeking. Because when we encounter people, they'll notice that we're looking for something different and that we're pursuing something different than the world. And we have this hope, right, as Peter talks about here, to give a defense of the hope that lies within you. People are going to realize when you keep getting up, that even though bad things have happened in life, even though bad things are happening in this world, how are you so positive? Yeah, we'll be down at times. But when we think about it, how much more grateful can we be in life than to be followers of God and to have this hope that can't be taken away from us? So we need to be prepared to, as maybe you've heard, be the only Bible that somebody reads, to live out Christ, and that is part of having him in our hearts but also that we need to be kind because this goes, on, I think, around with it and why sometimes the whole knowing things has gotten out of hand because people start talking down to others. They're saying, well, listen, I know all this stuff. I did all this stuff. You need to listen to me. But it's not about listening to me. But we look to Christ for the example of what did he do when he confronted sinners? He talked to them from a place of love, of care, because he knew what they needed. And we need to do that for those that we interact with. But also, when we think of the Christians that followed after Jesus, 
Paul and Peter and others who expressed the sentiment of we were all once sinners and remembering where we came from and being humble about it. And only when we talk to someone, the only difference between us and them is that we've been purified and cleansed by Christ's blood. That's it. There's still a soul that God desires to be saved and one that we need to talk to. But we need to remember to be kind and to not have a bad conscience. I know of people that have walked into a church building and somebody told them that they weren't dressed up enough and they never came back to church. While we need to be respectful of God and how we dress, and that's a whole another thing to talk about, are we, really, are we really willing to have on our conscience to make some nasty Facebook post about somebody and them never want to come to church again because of what we said? To have that wear on our conscience. That's why we need to be kind. Why we started with talking about the things that we talked about. Because when it comes to this point, there's a difference between being truly proud and being a child of God and being arrogant and demeaning to people and saying that you're being a child of God. What is so sad is that Christ died to the people that claim to be God's people. And yet today, so many people who claim to be Christians are the ones that mistreat the people in the world. We need to remember to be kind, even when people are mean to us, right? That we need to turn the other cheek. But that in it, when we hear these words, right? Peter's not talking about, you know, if, if you get slandered against, if people talk mean about you. He says when. When people slander against you, when they think about things, when they start going to other people, somebody might ask, why are you being mean to that person? They've never done anything to be mean to you or hurt you because people start becoming jealous, maybe, of the hope that is in you or upset because they know what the Bible says and that you claim to be a Christian and thus they don't like you because you're in relation to what God's word is condemning. And a lot of times it can be hard to swallow, but as one of my teachers said in school about these verses and studying with people, he called it the, print, the peanut butter principle. Right? What, for a dog, my dog, when he needed to take pills, we'd cover it in peanut butter because he'd just eat the peanut butter up. He wouldn't really know what was coming down. By approaching people in kindness with respect to what situations they live in, we can hopefully get them to lower their guards, to forget about what was mistreated before, how they were treated, and to approach God with an open mind. And hopefully God's word can pierce their hearts. But lastly... I want to look at the question of does suffering mean losing hope? Luke 7.47 says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which were many, are forgiven, and thus she loved much, but the one who is forgiven much, or is forgiven little, loves little. When we think about how we're dealing with things in life, I think too often we've connected these things, that when things are going great, we're through the roof, yeah, let's, let's do this, let's go out and do lots of evangelism. But when things become bad, become worse, our hope goes so little. And too many people have convinced us that hope and suffering are connected. And they aren't at all, as we said. God's hope is in, unchangeable and it relies on him alone. Regardless of what, happening, what happens to us, God's hope is the same. It's still a strong, it's still a solid no matter what happens to us. We can't let ourselves believe the lie that just because we suffer, it diminishes 
the hope that God offers, because God is the Almighty. The hope that he offers will endure forever. And anything more than now, right, we need to lean on God in this time of sadness, of so much bad news. We need to be looking to him and focusing on him for what is going on in our lives and to make sure that we are living the hope that God offers. But ending in verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous and the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. We were all unrighteous, as we said, but Christ died for us to bring us to God, to give us that hope that even amidst our personal battles that we have in life, we can get through them and rely on the protection that God offers us and be proud of the hope that we have. But the question is, will you bear to suffer for him in return? This isn't just about what's been given to us, but what we will give up for him. I don't know what the suffering will look like for us today, in the years to come, but don't let what's going on make you worry, and make you hope less about what is going on and what will come from the church here at Waterson Trail. Because we have a bright future ahead of serving God, of honoring him, and showing the hope that Christians have to the world around us. But the question is, what have you been doing with your life? Have you taken it upon yourself to serve God and to turn away from evil? Or have you been slipping up? Have you let the world around you convince you that the hope that you have isn't solid and isn't unchangeable? A time for prayer, a time for encouragement is any time that you need. You can come to any one of us and just ask for prayers. But if you need encouragement, whatever you need, please come now as we stand and sing.